blessed new year to all and each of you as we look toward what's going to happen and the things that are going on. Opportunity to be here. Wayne, it is good to see you up and about. Glad you're feeling better. And if you want to come up and just take over, I'll be glad to let you do that. Uh, okay. <laughs> we are glad that you're here. Appreciate you being with us and the opportunity to share together. I want to start this morning a, a series of uh, messages with you if it, and regarding the bride of Christ, looking at the church, who we are, what it means to be the bride, how you and I are supposed to be living our lives as the children of God, as we anticipate what God is doing in our lives, as we look together and understand that. And so I want to spend some time over the next several weeks looking at that and talking about that with you and looking at different scriptures and trying to understand what does it really mean. The Bible says, I believe, that we are God's bride through for Jesus Christ, that we have been purchased by a price, by the bride price, we'll look at that more, but we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're his bride, his church. From the very beginning, even before the beginning, God's plan was for the church to be in existence, for the church to make an impact upon the world, to be used by God to touch people's lives and to change their lives and all that's going on by the power of the gospel and what was happening. And we can't say we love Christ and not love his church not love the people of his church, not love his, the bride, because that's, God loves the bride, and we need to have that same attitude, that same understanding of his church, of his people toward one another. Now, sometimes you and I don't like one another very well, but we're always supposed to love each other regardless of how we feel about things and the things that are going on as we look at it because we make up together the bride of Christ. Every born-again believer, every person that genuinely has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about uh, having a religious philosophy or anything. I'm talking about having a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in Him, trusting Him for what He did for us on the cross of Calvary, and allowing that to have effect in our lives as we've trusted Him, acknowledged Him, confessed our sin, received Him as Savior and Lord of our life. We then become a part of the bride of Christ with every other member of the body of Christ that has truly trusted Christ as Lord and Savior and as we look at that, and so as we understand that and we look at that, I want us to just spend weeks together talking together, what does it really mean to be the bride of Christ? And there will be a lot of back and forth between what does it mean even in our own time as far as how do we look at weddings and brides and how do we live our lives in those contexts and the things that we look at and we deal with. But I think it's important that we understand because God is so desperately longing for a people to believe who they are and whose they are and to live like it, to make a difference. Our world is so hungry for people to live for Christ and to give them an example. They're in darkness. They're, they're wandering aimlessly. They have no idea what they're doing. They may cry out in anger. and They may do all that they can to hinder the movement of Christianity, but in the depths of their being, they're longing for someone, some people, to be the people of God. Not compromising, not standing for the way the world is, but living as God intends us to live, being the people of God, being his precious bride as we look at that. I want to start with uh, three passages of Scripture this morning, and we'll be looking at a lot of different ones as we look at it. We're going to look in John chapter 14, the first three verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and then we're going to also look together in Ephesians in five, chapter 5, verse 27. I just want to read those and allow those words to kind of begin sinking into our mind. We'll refer to some of them, or I'll refer to some of them, back and forth as we go through this time together and we look at it. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and as we honor the Word of God, and let it speak to our hearts. And whether you can follow along by keeping up, we're going to start in Ephesians, and look at chapter 5 and verse 27. 
And then we'll move back through the others as we have the opportunity to do you know, the scripture says is the Holy Spirit is leading Paul to talk about the church, about families, about relationships. And he says that he might present to himself, talking about Christ presenting to himself, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, the scripture says, For I am jealous for you. With a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as pure virgin. And then in John 14, the passage, the verses that you know so very well, and the first three verses of that passage say, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Here's the part we want to hold on to. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we start this time of just examining your word and what it has to say to us regarding what it means for us to be your bride, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what that entails, what it means, how we're supposed to live, how it should affect our thinking and our acting and our speaking and all that we are. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us to get a hold of that because we need to understand how precious we are in your sight, how much you long for us to understand the depth of your love for us, how much you want to pour out your blessing in our lives and allow us to experience life in ways that can't even begin to be imagined as we trust you and walk with you in faithfulness and the things that are set before us. And so, Father, as we examine your word and let your word be our guide and our teacher, I pray that your spirit would speak into our hearts, into our minds, that you would teach us those things that we need to learn, remind us of those things that we already know, and help, Father, for all of them to take root in our lives and bring forth fruit that can touch not only our church family here gathered together, but those that we know from all over the world that are brothers and sisters in Christ, and through that reach a lost world that desperately, desperately longs to see the light, to know truth, to understand love and peace. So, Father, we, I just pray that you would take this study and that you'd use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look together and, and, and understand what's going on, uh, this morning, I, I wanna, some of it will be a little bit of a repetition from those of you who were here when I talked a few weeks ago and we were talking about, I shared with you some thoughts about communion and what it meant and how, what kind of effect it was supposed to have in our lives, how easy it is for us when we do something over and over and over and over and over again to lose the meaning of it, the significance of it, that it just becomes something that we do by habit, but it, we don't really think about it and what it's about and what's going on. And I talked about that a little bit, and so there will be a little repetition here because that's part of how we understand the arrangement. When we, when we look at the Bible times and we understand the context of what God was saying and what Paul and John and others were used of God to say in regard to the bride, we, we understand that the first phrase was kind of like an arrangement phrase. Phase. It was a time in which everything was done that needed to be done in preparation for the, the groom and the bride to be able to join together in a betrothal period that would then lead one day to the wedding that would take place and that we would see and understand that as we look at it. In that arrangement period, everything that would needed to be done, the, the son and the father would decide together, work together in, in choosing a bride, and they would work then with the bride and her father 
to determine what needed to be done and the arrangements that need to be done to, to bring about a betrothal, and they would go through all these things together, and they would work it out, and once that was done, then the betrothal would take place. And, and what happened in those times was that they would get together, and the, the father loved his son. That was the act of this. Or the, God, the father loved his son, and, and he worked with him, and he wanted him to have the very best possible arrangement that he could as he would look for it. And so they would talk together, and they would decide. And once the son had made that decision about this girl that he decided was the one he wanted for his bride, then they would negotiate with her and her dad, her family, a bride price, what they would be willing to pay in order to be able to be married and to have that opportunity to do so. And they would negotiate that, and they would go through that, and then they would go through the other steps that were necessary. When they came to the, actually putting it all together, the father and son would go to the home of the bride and her father and family, and they there at her home would begin the process of this negotiation in which they've talked about that would be done, discussing the bride price, dealing with the things that would go on, and understanding the things that would happen. And anywhere along the way here, you need to understand, the bride could say, I don't think I like this idea. I'm not in favor of this. I don't, I don't want this relationship. She was not forced into that, as you would look at it and see, and as would understand that. She could say no, as, as they talked about it. But they would look at it, and they, they would talk together, and the things that would happen, and they would secure the bride, and the bride price would be agreed upon. And then they would come to that part that we talked about when I talked about communion, where they would take the, the, bride, the groom, would take the cup of wine and he would present it to the bride. And when he did that, he was saying to her, I give you my life. I give you everything that I am. I, I pledge to you and you only that I, everything that I am, everything that I dream, everything that I own, everything that I ever hope to be, I give to you. I give you all my life and you alone. Now, and he would hand her the, or present her the cup and then she again still had the choice. Say, no, nope, I'm not interested. You're not the guy for me. I don't, I, no, I don't want that. Or she could take the cup. And if she took the cup and she drank from the cup, she was saying to that young man, I accept your proposal. I accept what you have offered to me. I accept your life. I accept your promises. I, expect, I, I accept all that you are. And in doing so, by taking this cup, I say to you, I give you all that I am. I accept you and I give you myself, all my hopes, all my dreams, everything that I have in my mind, I give to you and you only. I am committed to you and you alone. I said, look at it. And so that would be done. And then they would give, the young man then would give the bride, uh, the prospective bride, a golden ring or something of value to signify that they were committed to one another. That ring meant you belong to me and I belong to you. And we don't go out looking at other folks, and we don't party with other folks about it. We have made a commitment one to the other, and that's where we're staying. We're one to one. And we're not going to let our eyes wander. We're not going to toy around with others and deceive whether we made a mistake or not. We have made a commitment to each other. And he would give that ring to her and, and be a part of that as they would get ready to leave and, and go from that time as they'd have the opportunity to look and stew and be a part of it. Then they would leave. And they'd go back to the father's house. And what they were supposed to do, the betrothal had been guaranteed. What they were supposed to do now, the son was supposed to build a place for the bride to be brought to when they got married. And they would go to the father's house, and he would begin building and constructing a home for them to do and be a part of the time. And the Bible says that he, just as I read a moment, he would go and prepare a place, and then he would come and get his bride. The scripture tells in Matthew and other places, you'll remember, that only the father knows 
when the son can come. He told disciples that ask him when. He said, nobody knows but God. Nobody knows but the father. And see, what would happen, that young man would go home, and he, it was under his father's instruction and leadership that he would build this place. And he had to build it right, and he had to build it secure. It had to be well built. It couldn't be something where he cut corners, trying to get in her. I want to get my bride here. I'm going to build this thing as fast as I can, go get my bride and bring her home. No, it couldn't be. It didn't matter. The father had to say, it's finished, it's complete, now you can go get your bride. It wasn't up to the young man, it was up to the father. And that's what Jesus is saying exactly for you and for me. Jesus returned to the father. And one day he's coming again. And we'll talk about that more specifically when we get toward the end of this. But one day he's coming again. But that day will be when the father says, go get your bride. Not until. But what we need to understand, and we're gonna, I'm going to hopefully be able to bring this back and relate it to us today as we look at it. But what we need to understand, what you need to put in your mind and in your heart as a child of the living God, as a bride, the wedding date has been set. It's on the calendar. It's not negotiable. The date has been set. God knows exactly the moment in time in which Jesus Christ is coming again to take his bride home. It's set. And so we need to live in that understanding that we're not living in a time frame. We're not living in a manner of life in which we can just do what we want to do as we want to do because we don't have any idea what's going on. You and I may not know the date, but we need to know that in the times of eternity, in the moment that cannot be changed by an unchanging God, there has been a date set in which Jesus Christ will come for his bride and he'll come and take us home. And when that date arrives, it'll be too late for anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to get in on being a part of the bride. They'll not be able to be a part of the heavenly banquet. They'll not be a part of that great feast that takes place. They'll not be a part of an eternity with God, but rather they'll be separated, cast out into the darkness, into a place of condemnation forever and ever, never to be saved, never to be redeemed. This idea of purgatory, these ideas of our cults that say, you know, there's some way eventually to get out of judgment, get out of the punishment that's there. Everything except Christianity says there's an alternative but there's not according to the Bible when you die if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you will spend an eternity in a place that was designed for Satan and his demons and you'll be there forever and nothing will change that and that's why it's imperative that we understand the date's already been set we, we don't know that date and so we need to be living rightly because of when it may come and be a part of it as we look and understand so in your heart and your mind whether you hear anything else this morning understand that the date has been set for your wedding with Jesus Christ for that time when he's going to come and get you and take you home to be with him forever and then let's try to apply that to ourselves as we look at it first what we need to see and understand is that the Bible says in John 1.14 that Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to our house. Remember, the son and the father went to the bride's house. Jesus Christ came to our house, this world. And the Bible tells us that he chose us. We did not choose him. That he was the one who came seeking us and looking for us and desiring a relationship with us. And he chose us and desired for us to be a part of that living bride that one day would be united with him for all of eternity to be a part of that. And so he came to our house and he picked us out and chose us to be a part of that relationship that he has with us and being a part of it. And the bride price, the bride price was usually something... Obviously, that the groom and his father, that their family could afford. It had to be something they could pay. But it was also based something upon the value of the bride. 
in her family. What, what did she have? How, how good or how valuable was she? What was she bringing to the idea of the marriage and things like that? But you and I need to remember and understand that the Bible says that God did something unbelievable. God did something more amazing than anything that could have ever been thought of in all the schemes of mankind. God paid the highest bride price that could ever be paid for an unworthy bride. For a bride that was not worth anything. For we were all sinners separated from God by our own choices. We lived apart from God. We had nothing to do with God. The Bible says there's not one of us that's even righteous or even seeking after righteousness, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that not one of us deserve to have the love of God in our life. And yet God paid the highest price, not silver and gold and those things that perish, but the very precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is a lamb without blemish. He shed that blood upon the cross to pay for you and for me that we might be redeemed, that we might be brought in. That was the price that God was willing to pay for us to have a relationship with him. That was the bride price that you and I can look at and understand together as we know and relate to the things that are going on and being a part of it. The upper room is a beautiful picture of some of this as we see Jesus going through the preparations and the things that are there, one of the things that would have to happen whenever this betrothal was getting ready to take place was that there would be an immersion or a cleansing in water, what you and I might look at as baptism and being a part of that, for the, the outward symbol of an inward cleanliness that was there, and they'd be a part of it. In the upper room, you'll remember Jesus took the basin and the towel, and he washed the feet of the disciples. That was that cleansing that washing that takes place. In the upper room, we talked about already a few weeks ago, you'll remember when he offered that cup to his disciples, he was saying to his disciples, I give you all of who I am. I present myself to you. I hold nothing in back at all. And when the disciples took that cup from him, they were saying to him as their Lord and Savior, we give ourselves to you. We trust you. We'll follow you. We'll be your people in all that we do, in all that we say, and being a part of it. That was, that was what was going on as they look at it, you and I would understand it today in the symbolism of our own baptism. When we trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, when we gave Him our lives and we acknowledged Him, we followed through with that, already clean, already saved, already right with God because of that commitment that we made to Jesus Christ and trusting Him. But then we followed Him in baptism as an outward sign, an outward symbol of the reality that God had done something in our lives that we could never do for ourselves. That God had cleansed us. God had taken away our sin. God had forgiven us, and now we are clean and being a part of that. And so we're baptized as we are spiritually prepared for that betrothal of the thing that goes on and being a part of it as we seek to understand. And then as that young man gave the ring to the woman as a, as a reminder that you belong to me and I belong to you and it's just that we're to be together for all time and, and to be a part of that, it's just a, it's a sacred reminder of our relationship being a part of it. God gave us the Holy Spirit as that symbol that we belong to Him. You read throughout people all the time saying, oh, how do you know for sure if, you, if you're a Christian or not? How can I have certainty? How can I be without any question whatsoever? Well, the book of 1 John is a good place for you to go do some studying and look because it tells us over and over, I write these things that you might know. I'm telling you things so that you can know. The Bible, God doesn't want us to live in doubt. Satan does. God wants us to live in certainty. He wants to live in the surety that we have a relationship with God that cannot be taken, that cannot be broken because it's in God's hands and God did what needed to be done for us and we accepted that gift. And when we trusted Christ as the Lord and Savior, God put on our finger, in a sense, that golden ring. He put in our life the Holy Spirit. 
And from the very moment we trusted Jesus Christ as God, as Lord and Savior of our life, God came to dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He will never leave us. So you cannot do anything to get rid of Him. He's with you. Now, we live most of the time as though He doesn't exist. We live our lives as though it doesn't matter. But He's with us. He came to be a part of us. He's, a, he's that symbol. He's that sign that recognizes. Romans 8 talks about the same thing, that the Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit and gives us a confirmation, a guarantee, an understanding. I am a child of God. I belong to Him. He's my, my Savior, my Lord, and I have that relationship as we have and as we see, and, and we see that and understand. So we have that. And then the, one of the last things that the young man would do before he would leave, he would give his bride-to-be a written contract. It, it, it was something that would allow her to be protected by any rules or laws that might talk about anything, but it was also something that gave her a, a hope, an encouragement, a, a guide, an understanding, because it was his words, it was his promise. She could say, you know, maybe every day of her life she didn't feel like she was engaged. Maybe there were some things that happened. Maybe she began to wonder. He's off way off yonder doing something, and I don't see him, and I don't get to be with him, and I don't know what all he's doing. I, you know, I, he pledged his faithfulness to me, but is he? Am I really married? Am I not married? You know, all those kinds of questions that could come up. But that written guarantee was given to her as a reminder. She could go to that and read that, and she could know this, he, he gave his life to me. I'm the only one that he has given that to. He didn't give his life to anybody else. He's not sharing his life with anybody else. He belongs to me. Folks, this is God's written guarantee that he gave to you and to me as his children that we are his. And anything and everything that we need to know about living our life is found right here. And anything and everything that we need to know about our relationship with God and how much he loves us and what kind of life he desires for us to have and how much he longs to bless us, everything's right here. But you've got to read it. It's given to us as hope. It's given to us as encouragement. It's given to us as a strength, as a guide, as a help. But it doesn't do any good if it sits on your shelf and gathers dust. It doesn't do any good if you read it every day, but you don't read it for the purpose of hearing God. You just read it so you can check off in your own heart, I read my Bible every day this year. Big deal. Absolutely meaningless. Unless you read it with a heart to know the Father, to know God, and to let God speak to you. And being a part of that because it's just words on a page unless you actually go to it looking for it. My groom, my prospective husband has written me a book full of love letters reminding me he loves me. He loves me. And he can't wait for that time. In the meantime, we're in a time of betrothal. The betrothal is the time from that moment in which the bride and the groom agree together through all the different things, the bride price, the cup passing, the, the baptism, the ring, the contract, all those things. From that point on, the betrothal is a legal binding episode in the life of those two people. As far as the law and everything else would be concerned, they are married. They won't have the official marriage and come together physically until a wedding date, which is out yonder somewhere. The father knows, but they might not know for sure, as until he says. But the bride, and we're going to see what in the meantime, in this betrothal period, which we're in right now with God, we're living that betrothal. We have the ring. We have the contract. We know we're the bride, but we don't know the day. But one of these days... Father's going to say to the son, 
go get your bride. And you'll remember that, we'll see it again, but you'll remember that parable of those who are waiting. The ten virgins, five were prepared, five were not. We need to be living prepared because we don't know. When the Father says come, he's coming. He's not going to send out a note to us and say, okay, everybody, shape up, get ready. Better start living the way you're supposed to be living because I'm coming. No, when the Father says come, he's going to be here. And we need to be living. So right now, in this time in our lives, we live in that spirit of betrothal. We live in that time frame in which we are awaiting the coming of our groom for that day of wedding. How are we supposed to live during that time? How should it affect our lives? What difference should it make in the way we think and act, the relationships that we have, and all the things that are going on? That's what I believe God wants us to understand, and that's what I hope with your prayers and everything to be able to walk with you through as we look together and try to take that to heart and understand. Folks, you and I are, whether we believe it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are the bride. You are. How should the bride act? When you got engaged, did you go ahead and keep dating everybody else? Keep going to all the parties and assuming that life just was like it always was? Did you just do everything you'd always done, or did it change something about your perspective? Did you begin to focus on one person instead of many people? Did you begin to live in a way not to dishonor the groom or the bride? We've got a lot of things to think about as the bride of Christ. How does that, what does that mean? And how does that work out in our lives together? Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I know this has been almost more like a lecture than anything else, but just trying to understand and set the stage to, to relate to the fact of what it means to be your bride and how we're supposed to be living. And Father, I pray in the days ahead that as, as we look at your scripture and, and your word to us, and it, as we try to let it teach us about those things that are there, I, I pray that you would help us to get a, a, a new understanding, a new appreciation of what it means to be the bride of Christ and how that ought to affect the way we live and the way that we uh, think and the way that we act and, and speak and, and relate and all the things that we are because of who we are. And whose we are. Father, just begin over again uh, empowering our mind and heart with the reality of the truth. We are your bride. We belong to you. We need to live like it. We need to act like it. And so, Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts over the time to come. But I pray even this morning, Father, as we set that arrangement, if there's someone here that has never entered into that relationship with you, they're not a part of the bride. They've never put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted Him and Him only as Lord and Savior of their life. They've never allowed themselves to step forth in the faith that you offer as a gift by grace. Father, I pray this morning would be the time that they'd quit putting it off. They'd quit just using the excuses that Satan gives them and they'd just stand up and say, I'm ready to be saved. I'm ready to be right with God. It's time for me to live the way God intends for me to live. And that starts with having a relationship with Jesus Christ, by entering into that betrothal with Him as Lord and Savior of my life. And Father, I pray that, that you'd not let people miss that, that you'd help them to understand how vital that step of relationship with you by faith and trusting Christ is, because without it, they can never be a part of the bride.
and they can never be a part of the wedding feast at the end when Jesus Christ comes again. And so help us to know and understand that. Father, help us to just get our hearts ready, to begin praying together, thinking together. What does it mean for us to be a people of God, the bride of Christ, as we think together? And if there's something that needs to be settled this morning, Father, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to respond and to react in the way that you want us to. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.